0: Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from antiwar.com, and this is anti war news for Wednesday, November 30th, 2022. So, the first story at the top of antiwar.com today NATO is doubling down on its pledge to eventually grant Ukraine membership. So, this was during a meeting of NATO foreign ministers in Bucharest, Romania, and they double down on the pledge to eventually admit Ukraine. Um, And this is a position that has played a major role in provoking Russia's invasion. So the Romanian city of Bucharest was where NATO initially made the promise to Ukraine back in 2008. And at the time U S officials acknowledged that attempting to bring the country into the Alliance could spark a war in the region. Um, So I linked to here, this is um, you know, a NATO press release or NATO document from back then in 2008. And it says at this summit, NATO allies welcomed Ukraine's and Georgia's Euro Atlantic aspirations for membership and agreed that these countries will become members of NATO. So it was Georgia as well as Ukraine. So uh, Stoltenberg, the NATO secretary general, he said, quote, we made the decision in Bucharest on In 2008 at the summit, I was there representing Norway as prime minister. I remember very well the decisions. We stand by those decisions. NATO's door is open, end quote. So you hear that a lot, you know, NATO's open door. Um, That's something that U.S. and NATO officials are always talking about when they discuss this issue. You know, Russia's objection to Ukraine joining NATO in the future. And the NATO foreign ministers, which includes Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, they issued a joint statement saying that they reaffirm the decisions made at that 2008 summit. So, also in 2008, around this same time, William Burns, uh, you know, I, I know I've gone over this a lot, but it's very important. Uh, he's the current CIA director. At the time, he was the US ambassador to Russia. He wrote in a cable that was released by WikiLeaks. That said promising NATO memberships to Ukraine and Georgia touches a raw nerve in Russia and raises serious security concerns for Moscow. So Burns wrote in this cable, quote, not only does Russia perceive encirclement and efforts to undermine Russia's influence in the region, but it also fears unpredictable and uncontrolled consequences, which would seriously affect Russian security interests, end quote. So Burns said in this cable that Russia is particularly concerned about Ukraine more so than Georgia. He said, quote, experts tell us that Russia is particularly worried that the strong divisions in Ukraine over NATO membership with much of the ethnic Russian community against membership could lead to a major split involving violence or at worst civil war. In that eventuality, Russia would have to decide whether to intervene, a decision Russia does not want to have to face, end quote. So it really essentially did play out like that. While the pledge to admit Ukraine into NATO did not lead to a civil war right away, um, a civil war was sparked in 2014 when the U.S. backed the ousting of Viktor Yanukovych. And while he was president from 2010 to 2014, Ukraine joining NATO was really off the table. He was more friendly to Russia, though he was also friendly with Europe. Um, but so after he was ousted uh, separatists in the eastern Donbass region, where there's more Russian speakers and ethnic Russians, and as well as the people of Crimea uh, rejected the post-coup government, which was more you know, U.S. and Western friendly, obviously, and then it was really after that that NATO began this deep partnership with Ukraine. They sent troops there to train the country's military and the U.S. started giving them military aid. And they first started sending them anti-tank missiles, which is, was the first what they call you know lethal aid. Obama was hesitant to give them weapons for good reason. And then Trump came in and he gave them the Javelin anti-tank missiles. And then Yahoo News revealed earlier this year that the U.S. also deployed CIA paramilitaries to the front line of the Donbass war in 2014. So they were right there. Um, so now during the lead up to Russia's invasion, so the current war that we're in, which um, what to two to, to people in Russia is a continuation of the Donbass war, But during the lead up to that invasion, Russia presented the U.S. with a list of security demands. And chief among them was the issue of NATO expansion, which Russia wanted to be rolled back. Moscow was also seeking a guarantee that Ukraine won't ever join NATO. But the U.S. refused to entertain the idea, even though Biden had acknowledged that Kiev wouldn't be joining the alliance anytime soon. Biden said that in, I believe it was January 2020. 22. So right before the invasion, he said, no, not in the near term, something like that. So shortly after Russia invaded Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, he said that he was told privately Ukraine won't be joining NATO. He said that he requested, uh, I'll just read his quote. He said, quote, I requested them personally to say directly that we are going to accept you into NATO in a year or two or five, just say it directly and clearly, or just say no. And the response was very clear. You're not going to be a NATO member, but publicly the door remains open, end quote. So it's that open door. We just keep hearing it. They're dangling it in front of Ukraine, and it's really continuing a war um, that was unnecessary. And while NATO, you know, they don't plan on admitting Ukraine as a full member anytime soon, they do have big plans for the country. There was a recent report from Politico that says they have a 10-year plan to rebuild Ukraine's military and arms industry, and that will make Ukraine a default member of NATO, or a de facto member of NATO, which they you know, really are, are at this point already. Um, but this is a situation that Russia is never going to accept. So by making this pledge that they don't really mean, I don't think, I mean, who knows? They're just basically saying that they that this war is going to continue and that they're going to, and at this summit too, you know, that was Stoltenberg's and all these other foreign ministers message that we're going to support Ukraine for as long as it takes. So sorry if that was too long. I know that's a lot of stuff you guys probably already know, but I just think it's important when this is in the news to really jam those facts down people's throats. Um, all right. So the next one, this is uh, related to the new start talk. So Russia says that it delayed the nuclear arms control talks over differences with the U.S. So Russia on Tuesday said that it delayed these talks um, that were set to start this week. We're going to start on Tuesday due to differences with Washington and tensions over Ukraine. So this is Russian Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabkov. He said, quote, we have encountered a situation where our American colleagues not only demonstrated a lack of desire to take note, Of our signals, acknowledging our priorities, but also acted in the opposite way. So his excuse, their excuse for canceling these talks, postponing them, they're saying that you know the the U.S. isn't listening to them, and so these were talks going to be held under the New Start treaty, which is the last remaining nuclear arms control treaty between the U.S. and Russia. Rabkov said that Russia will eventually propose new dates for the dialogue, but only when the time is right. So who knows when that will be? So the talks were expected to focus on resuming inspections under New Start that have been paused since March 2020. And Rabkov is saying he's claiming that Russia wanted to discuss other issues besides the inspection, but said that but the U.S. refused that. So uh, I guess that's a big reason why Russia is saying they postpone these talks. And he also said that U.S. support for Ukraine also impacted the decision, Um, just, you know, the current state of tensions. So it's just not a good sign. You know, they're not even offering, you know, they're saying in the near future, saying it probably won't happen until at least 2023. Um, So something I was pretty hopeful for was for these talks to resume, but it just doesn't look like that's going to happen. All right. The next story, this is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute. U S is considering transferring Patriot missiles to Ukraine and the Kremlin threatens a response. So a senior Pentagon official told reporters that the Biden administration is now engaged in discussions on sending advanced air defense systems to Kiev. And the statement was de- was made days after Poland suggested Germany transfer Patriot interceptor missiles to Ukraine. So this Pentagon official said that all capabilities are on the table Including the Patriot, which is a pretty advanced air defense system, as I understand it. So, really, what happened with the whole Germany Poland thing was a Ukrainian air defense missile hit Poland. Germany offered Poland, hey, we'll deploy a Patriot battery, you know, that, and that would include German troops to operate it. And Poland initially sounded like they were going to accept it. Then they said, no, why don't you send it to Ukraine? But that means, you know, a NATO deployment to Ukraine because it would require. German troops to operate it, so I would assume if the U.S. is considering sending these missiles that they would train Ukraine on them in Germany or something, and they would operate it. I, I would not assume that this would include a, you know, American troops to operate the um, system. So Dmitry Medvedev, who is the deputy chair of the Security Council, the Russian Security Council, he's a former president of Russia. He said that Russia would respond to the transfer of um, Patriot missiles. Stoltenberg as well during the the summit, he also hinted at um, the possible deployment of Patriots or, or or sending Ukraine Patriot missiles. It's really, they're focusing on air defense as Ukraine is facing all these strikes on its infrastructure. It's a big focus right now of the military aid. And Medvedev, he said that if NATO gives these, gives the Ukrainians the Patriot defense systems um, that they will immediately turn into legitimate targets if they're there with, you know, NATO personnel, but also, you know, they would target them either way, the Patriot missiles. Um, So it's just another type of aid that the U.S. is looking to give Ukraine. All right, the next story here, China. Pentagon says that China could have 1500 nukes by 2035. So the Pentagon this week they issued its annual report on China's military power and it claimed that Beijing could nearly quadruple its nuclear stockpile pile by 2035 bringing it to 1500 warheads. So current estimates put China's nuclear stockpile at about 350 although the Pentagon is claiming that the number has surpassed 400. China has signaled that it does have plans to increase its nuclear deterrence as it's under increasing pressure from the u s and now NATO's got their eyes on china uh but it it's not clear really if if they're going to build the new warheads at the rate that the Pentagon is estimating. This is something u s officials have been really hyping up uh in very you know in the past couple of years. But right now, you know, China's arsenal is vastly smaller than the U.S. and Russia's. And unlike Washington and Moscow, China also has a no first use policy. So including retired warheads that are expected to be dismantled, the U.S. has about 55 to 5,600 warheads. I see numbers in between there. And Russia has about 6,200. So that's much more than, you know, about 350 to 400 that China has. And the U.S. has said that China should engage in trilateral arms control talks with the U.S. and Russia. That was something the Trump administration did. It seemed like they were going to sabotage the New START Treaty and let it expire because when they were trying to negotiate a replacement with Russia, they invited China. They, they, they said, oh, China has to be involved too. But this idea is just a total non-starter because, again, look at the numbers. You know, it's one thing to have an individual treaty with between the US and China, but it's a different thing. You know, you could possibly have it on deployments of nuclear warheads in the Pacific. But the idea of the three those three countries having, you know, sharing one treaty is just is just nonsense. It would require the US and Russia to really dismantle their stockpiles to really reduce their warheads. But obviously, you know, the prospect of any new arms control agreement between the US and Russia are very bleak and this is also about i think when they're always hyping up China's nuclear arsenal just the fact that there's this 1.5 trillion dollar plan to modernize the US nuclear triad to modernize the US nuclear arsenal that's not even you know building new nukes that's just modernizing the bombs and missiles and you know submarines and all that stuff and so you know that's a lot of money that they want to spend and, you know, they need a reason to do it when there's just that much money behind something. Um, and again, so this this China military power report, it echoed the Pentagon's recently released national defense strategy, which identified China as its top priority. So the military power report says that China is, quote, the most consequential and systemic and systemic challenge to our national security, and to a free and open international system, end quote. So that means, you know, the U.S.-led world order, the free and open international system. The report said that China is keeping up persistent military operations around Taiwan, which has come in response to increasing U.S. support for the island. Um, So, One thing I saw a Pentagon official told reporters during a briefing on this, that China has made this military pressure on Taiwan, a new normal. And what they've done is they fly planes across the median line that separates the Taiwan Strait regularly. They used to not do that before Pelosi visited, uh, Taiwan, China made it very clear. It was going to respond. And they responded in a big way, holding their largest ever military exercises around Taiwan. And, before she went, analysts predicted, Chinese and other analysts rightly predicted that if she goes there, you know, these flights across the meeting line are going to become a regular thing. She went there and it's a regular thing now. So it's just very obvious how this is all going to play out, but they're just going to keep going right along. All right. So the next one we got here, U.S. warship sails near the disputed Spratly Islands in the South China Sea. So this is something the U.S. does once in a while is sail a Navy warship near Chinese-controlled islands in the South China Sea. So on Tuesday, the U.S. did just that near the Spratly Islands, and it was a U.S. Navy-guided missile cruiser, the USS Chancellorsville. China claimed that it entered the area illegally, and of course the U.S. uh, disputed that, that claim from China. And, um, so these, the U S has been doing these maneuvers for a while. They really started under Obama and have increased as the U S is more focused on confronting China in this region. And they call these freedom of navigation operations or phone ops. and the seventh fleet, which is the U S Navy seventh fleet based in Japan. They're the ones that are usually sending the ships to do these and, and sail through the Taiwan Strait usually they do you know they go through the Strait and then they go visit the South China Sea the US has also been sending aircraft carriers into the South China Sea a lot more frequently in recent years um, and this came not longer at not long after Kamala Harris visited the Philippines and that trip was very focused on this region we heard her say reaffirm that an attack on a Philippine vessel in the South China Sea would invoke the mutual defense treaty between the U.S. and the Philippines, meaning the U.S. is willing to go to war over this maritime dispute. And remember, you know, the Philippines, China, and Vietnam, and uh, Brunei, and several other Southeast Asian countries all have overlapping claims. It's not just China, um, you know, isn't the only one that has a dispute with people here. Um and while she was there, Kamala Harris, she visited a, the Philippine island of Palawan, which has a coast on the South China Sea. She gave a speech on board a Philippine Coast Guard vessel. So again, just shows the U.S. focus on the region. All right, next here we have an article from Jason Ditz. And this one is interesting. Uh, the Kurdish SDF asks Russia to mediate a security deal with Syria. So the SDF is the Kurdish group that the U.S. backs in eastern Syria. And Turkish officials keep uh, saying that they're going to invade uh, to fight the Kurds. Um, this comes after Turkey launched a series of airstrikes in northern Syria and Iraq. And Erdogan keeps saying you know, that, that they're not done, that there's going to be a ground offensive as part of this. And the SDF, uh, with this all happening, they want to negotiate an alliance with the Syrian government of Bashar al-Assad. And they're hoping that Russia will mediate. So they're turning to Russia to talk with the Syrian government. And it goes to show they're not happy with the U.S. You know, the U.S., by backing the Kurds, they're able to control one third of Syria, a big portion of eastern Syria. And this is something the Kurds always say in this region, the SDF. When when there was talk, when Trump said he was going to pull out of Syria, he ended up not doing so. But when he did, the Kurds said, you know, turning to Assad uh, is always an option for us, is how they put it. Um, this they could always uh, have a reproachment with the Syrian government. It kind of goes against the narrative that if the U.S. leaves, you know, the Kurds are just going to get slaughtered. And what could poss- potentially happen in that scenario is that Turkey saying it wants a buffer zone on its border. And if you know the, the Syrian government was in play there, you know they could be the ones that secure the border, to, to deploy their troops in that region. Um, But with the U.S. in the way, it it makes things much harder. Uh, And then the next one here is from The Cradle, and this is related. The SDF wants stronger assurances from Washington. So the commander of the SDF told Reuters that the Kurdish militia, uh, militia, he said this on Tuesday, wants stronger assurances that Washington will prevent a ground offensive against its forces in northern Syria. So really, they're just not happy with how the U.S. is kind of um, response to what Turkey has done and what Turkey is threatening. And, uh, you know, there was a statement. The U.S. has kind of come out and and denounced it a little more, criticized what Turkey did a little more. But at, at one point, the White House basically said Turkey has the right to defend itself against threats on its border there. Um, which is just much different rhetoric than, than we've seen from the US on this issue in the past. They're usually very quick to condemn Turkey, and so is everybody else. And, and it's been very quiet, uh, you know, from members of Congress when Trump was talking about leaving. Everybody cared about these Kurds, and now um, just silence about it in this situation. Uh, But the next one. So U.S. officials are pushing for military intervention in Haiti. So this was uh, the New York Times reported this on Tuesday that some top Biden administration officials are pushing for an international military intervention in Haiti over concerns of a migration of a migrant crisis. So the government of acting Prime Minister Ariel Henry has been under a lot of pressure lately. There's widespread protests calling for Henry to resign. And there's been a lot of gang violence. There's been a lot of fighting on the streets. And uh, he requested foreign military intervention last month to break a blockade of a key fuel, fuel terminal in Port-au-Prince. Uh, but they, that fuel blockade, uh, the blockade on this terminal has been lifted. Uh, The Haitian national police said that they have broken it, but still there are calls for military intervention. So the U.S. after that request from Enri, the U.S. proposed a U.N. resolution calling for a foreign military force to enter Haiti. Uh, But they struggled to find a country that's willing to lead the intervention. The New York Times report said that while the Biden administration wants to see the military intervention, they don't want it to involve U.S. troops. They say that it can be done with a deployment of 2,500 troops and police officers. They think that that could be enough to secure the areas that they want to in Haiti. But there are the countries that the U.S. is looking to lead the intervention are hesitant. The two countries mentioned in the report were Canada and Brazil. Um, Now, while Haitians are facing uh, a lot of violence and food shortages, many people in the country, most people in the country, are against. The intervention are against foreign military intervention due to the country's dark history with foreign military occupations. Very recently, uh, the most recent UN peacekeeping peacekeeping in quotes deployment that ended in 2017 involved extensive human rights abuses. It was a, a disaster. Um, it included the rape, the sexual assault of underage girls, and a cholera outbreak that was um, that UN. Peacekeepers brought cholera to Haiti, and it infected a lot of people. And according to, out of all places, uh, not according to, um, sorry, NPR had a report earlier in November that found most Haitians oppose foreign military intervention. They quoted a protest organizer who protested against Enry that said, quote, all they brought was kidnappings and rape and cholera. If the UN sends troops to Haiti, the fighting will get even more intense, End quote. So Henry has little popular support. He was never elected. He was made the acting leader of the country following the 2021 assassination of President Jobinel Moise, whose his killing was never solved. We know he was killed by a bunch of mostly Colombian mercenaries, and a lot of them were former Colombian Military and some of them received training in the U.S. At one point, Um, that's usually uh, the case in incidents like this. Um, So, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, this intervention doesn't happen. But it seems like they're still pushing for it. On the last news story here, the U.S. approves a one billion dollar arms sale to Qatar worth one. Sorry, I just said that worth one billion dollars. Um, and it's an anti-drone system. So the State Department approved the deal, and so that usually sets off a process where Congress has a certain amount of time to block it if they want. Um, so it's still, you know, a long process until this sale is actually made. But you know, this could be related to what the U.S. is trying to do in the Middle East, getting these Gulf Arab countries to cooperate more with Israel, and the focus is air defense systems and this is an anti-drone system. Now, Qatar had its issues with Saudi Arabia and other Arab countries. Um, they they just reestablished formal relations. I think it was last year, or maybe it w- wasn't even that long ago. Um, so they're just getting back on track with their relations. So that could complicate you know, this kind of Middle East NATO that the US is hoping to form against Iran. Um, but even though Qatar, they, they haven't formalized with Israel, but they have had talks. There has been some things going on behind the scenes similar to Saudi Arabia. Um, all right, so that's it for the news. We have a lot of good viewpoints, as always, that we link to here, including one from Daniel Larson about the implications of the DPP's defeat in Taiwan. Um, Ted Galen Carpenter on North Korea's new ICBM uh, test. One from Connor Eccles, our responsible statecraft, about the uh, situation with Turkey and Syria. And our spotlight is from Ted Snyder. When did Ukraine become a flashpoint? And then we have one here from Patrick Eddington about the FBI's black identity extremist label. Um, So uh, you can support the show, antiwar.com, slash donate, like, subscribe on YouTube and odyssey and rumble and all those places if you want the video and you can listen to the audio wherever you listen to podcasts share the show around buy an anti t-shirt or something you could find the link in the description that's it for me for today i will talk to you tomorrow thanks for listening